This is the EWN Podcast Network. Are you ready to live your life by your rules? Need some inspiration? Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success, the podcast that brings you interviews with people who have had their life path challenged and have redefined what success and a first-class life really means to them with tales of roads taken, detours explored, turning points, and transformation. Here is your host, First Class Life mentor, Kate Fessler. Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and my guest this week is Kim Peterson. Kim, a 425 Magazine 2018 Women to Watch honoree, started her image consultancy while homeless 18 years ago. Today, high achievers, emerging leaders, and leaders across various industries work with Kim when they want to increase their confidence, credibility, and success with greater ease. A keynote speaker, trainer, and personal brand and style coach with 30 years of experience in the image industry, Kim's individual clients have included senior VPs at Microsoft, Boeing, T-Mobile, and beyond. Vistage International, KeyBank, MCAWW, Williams Kastner Law, Kimpton Hotels, and Amazon are corporate clients. Individuals, teams, and organizations partner with Kim to receive discerned answers and targeted solutions to a variety of professional development, personal brand, and image questions. Kim founded Uniquely Savvy in 2000 and shares her story of transformation and moving from fear to freedom in her co-authored book, Incredible Life, Top Experts Reveal How to Create Yours. Welcome, Kim. Thanks, Kate. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Let's go back to your beginnings. You were adopted at an early age. Do you remember your birth parents and what it was like to join this new family, or were you too young? Oh, yes, I was too young. I was actually in foster care when I was an infant for a bit before I got adopted at about six weeks. Ah, okay. I remember um, my, my um, birth parents. I had a chance to meet my mom, my biological mom, when I was about 26 years old, though. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my is right. It was a a life-altering experience, for sure. It was a game changer. Oh, and how did you find her? Or did she find you? No, you know, I found her. It was a closed adoption. So, you know, there was no identifying information. I didn't know if she lived in Washington State or whatnot, but I hired an intermediary when I was about 25 and just reached real deep for courage because I needed to find her. I needed to know where I came from. That sense of identity uh, was so important before I got married, especially. And so the intermediary found her within, gosh, probably a week. Mm. You know, he reached out to her and said, your biological daughter has a letter for you and she's interested in meeting. And she could have said no, but she said yes. And so we met. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. (laughs) Well, I guess that's happening a lot more these days because of that whole uh, DNA thing. People are finding each other um, through a variety of means, um, surprising a lot of people along the way. (laughs) Right. It's so true. It's a different day and a different story. And I think, you know, fortunately for us, we're, we've um, crossed that, that bridge, but I think, wow, that could be very intimidating for a lot of people Mm -hmm. who would have preferred to keep things a little bit more um, private, but. So you are a black woman 
and you were adopted into a white family. When did you realize that you didn't look like the rest of the family and what feelings did that bring up for you? Yeah. So, you know, I've often thought about when did I realize, right? And so I can't remember, you know, an obvious age if it was, you know, when I was a toddler and why do, why is my skin darker than yours? Um, But it did produce a lot of, uh, fragmented feelings and and I had a very fragmented identity for sure because I never felt like I fit in to that white family or the white community for that for that matter and that started when I was young for sure and I was aware of it when I was six and then that's just been a part of my story of um not belonging being a misfit um as well as some other things for you know, the greater part of my life until I was in my 30s and really started doing some work around that. But I have to say, I I giggle when you say I'm a black woman, and it's true, I am. However, I did take a 23andMe test a couple years ago. My whole growing up, I thought I was 75% uh, black and a quarter Japanese. And what I found to be true is that I am um, 50% Asian. 50% Asian and, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, um, South Pacific Islander, all kinds of, you know, so I'm, I'm a whole lot Asian and black and I even have some white in me. (laughs) So was, was whatever, that sounds like a, someone from Hawaii, all of those uh, combinations. Was that your mom or your, your, your biological dad, or do you know where it comes from? You know, I would venture to say my mom, my biological mom is um, black and Japanese and her mom is first generation Japanese. So there's probably a lot of, of different uh, um, ethnicities there. And then my biological dad is black and my granddad was black, I learned. So. Did you talk to your parents about this when you, when you were, did you say like, hey, mom, like, what's up here? <laughs> You know, I did. It was, like I said, it was really tricky. And I'll just uh, set the framework a little bit so, so that you, you and your viewers might um, understand a little bit better. Is by the time I was six years old, my parents who adopted me actually divorced. And there were five of us kids, two of us who were adopted. But when my parents divorced, you know, all the kids got scattered about, and we can talk about that a little bit different, but the net effect of that is I, I was the only child growing up with my mom, and we grew up in Federal Way, which was very, you know, homogenous, and again, um, I just didn't, just really didn't belong, and so, you know, I would have um, black kids at school wanting to beat me up. I had, um, I, and I wasn't black enough. I didn't talk black. I didn't you know, dress or not dress, but dance black. Um, I had a certain kind of hair. And then in the white community back then, because I was, I was born in 71. So there was still, um, you know, some barriers to being accepted in a white community as well. So I did try and talk to my mom about that when I was in junior high. Um, And it's interesting, I think about this from time to time, no fault of her own. But I remember, you know, trying to talk to her about these feelings of not belonging and how it really was impacting my identity and, and, and how it actually started to produce a lot of um, sort of depression 
and anxiety. And, and she said, you know, kids just, teens go through, you know, a difficult time. It's a different, difficult season for teens and, and all teenage kids, you know, go through different things, but no, it was a lot, it was a lot more um, profound than that. But my family, I would venture to say has never really understood what it was like for me back then, or what it might even be like today. Although I don't really identify with those same struggles today. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure it's, it was outside of her experience, right? I mean, she was a white woman who probably just didn't understand. And you're right. Probably like not really faulting her, just, you oh, know, yeah. just not really um, grasping the things that you were probably struggling with. You know, it's just true. It's just like today, actually, Kate, I, I'm sure that you might um, agree that we have so many uh, differences and there's such diversity in our world today that, you know, unless we stop and choose to consciously connect to another person's story or another person's background or just remain super curious and ask a lot of questions, why would we know anything, you know, fill in the blank, you know, so, uh, and, and back then, you know, to my mom's uh, credit, single mom, she worked three jobs. We grew up in poverty. She had a lot of life she was trying to focus on to, uh, to just raise me up and get me out the door. Bless her heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I I was sort of related to this of, you know, Oprah, I think has said, when you know better, you do better. Yes. Um, And so I was listening last night to Elton John, of all things, and heard some of his music in a whole different way. Mm. Because when I first came out, I was a teenager or whatever, and I had my little sphere of what I knew. Um, and so was interpreting things within that sphere. And now with the, you know, with the benefit of many, many years of learning that there's many, many spheres of life, um, completely got a different thing out of it altogether. And I think that you're absolutely right. Like we have to be curious and we have to be open to learning about other people's experience and not just shutting it down as if, oh, well, if it isn't my experience and it doesn't exist, because I think that's a lot of what goes on today. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very, very problematic. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You mentioned that, you know, it led to a lot of depression. And when you were 12 years old, I think you actually considered suicide. This is very true. And the the time frame for that was more 15, hmm. um, you know, and it had been building for sure. And and when I was 12, it, there was a, a situation that certainly catapulted me into feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm done here. And that was my first of a few um, experiences with sexual assault. Hmm. You know, I was already really, really, really struggling, right? So my whole story, bottom line, I mean, you know, is um, growing up with, again, a sense of not belonging is pretty significant. And where do I fit in in just identity to the core? Um, And then when, you know, my parents divorced and I was left behind again. So that's abandonment twice by the time I'm six. So really trying to find my place in the world, then growing up in poverty on top of that, condemned housing, And then by the time I'm 12, being sexually assaulted and the aftermath that came with all of that, right? And the shame and, you know, the guilt and my my fault and things, it was just too much that 
you know, by the time I was 15, it was like, I'm done. And really, I'm, I'm done, and how can I do this? Um, I wrote a, a, a poem that I found a couple of years ago, actually, that, you know, surprisingly, it's pretty articulate for where I was, but I, I knew that I was already living out many destructive behaviors, you know, self-medicating, you know, I'm the textbook girl for, you know, trying to survive and looking for love in all the wrong places and, and all of that. But um, I recognized that I was on my own pretty dark path to destruction. Um, but then I, I had a turning point. Thank God. Thank God, for sure. Yeah. So tell me about that. What changed your mind? You know, it was what I call it a divine, a divine intervention, seriously. And I talked about this during a keynote for 425 Magazine last year. My message was all about hope. And this was really the hope that intervened for me because here's what's true. And, and you and I have, in roundabout ways, we've had conversations uh, about limiting beliefs, right? And, um, you know, our subconscious thinking is so powerful that this is how it manifested in me at 15 years old is, is, is that, you know, it would take over even in my sleep. So what happened is, is one night, you know, I was sleepwalking, which I'm not a sleepwalker. This is probably my first time ever. When I was 15, I was sleepwalking into the kitchen and I grabbed a butcher knife. It gives me chills to say this, but I grabbed a butcher knife. And what it was is I woke up. I woke up. That's why I call it divine intervention. Something woke me up out of my sleep, right? And that was a powerful wake-up call. And I didn't know about limiting beliefs back then, but I now know and I can see it and I can put it all together. But that's what happened. And so it was about a couple of weeks later that, you know, I brushed off this dusty old Bible I had, and uh, I came to this book of Psalms. And Psalm 139, you know, King David is, is talking about how he um, is so thankful that he is known basically by God, that God saw him being formed in his mother's womb, that he is fearfully and wonderfully made. And P.S. that all the days of his life were written in the book of life before one ever came to be. And for me, at 15 years old, that was huge. It was the first time I felt like I was known, that I was celebrated, that, you know, that my circumstances from birth till 15 at this point, they weren't unknown. You know, they weren't unknown. And so I was known and I was seen. And by the way, fearfully and wonderfully made is is talking about the unique complexities of who you are as a person, your unique personality, your unique body shape, you know, my big nose and my big curly, you know, multi-ethnic hair at that time, you know, my passions and, and my complexities. That's what fearfully and wonderfully made means. And it was from that time that I thought, let me unpack because I've always been a thinker, <laughs> sometimes to the detriment, like always in my head. But I thought, let me unpack what that means, fearfully and wonderfully made. And I began to really believe that, you know, I was known and that no matter my circumstances, I was going to be okay. 
I didn't know it then, but I know it now. I would say that that's sort of the power of um, even vision casting, looking beyond what is in the belief and having faith and hope that there's something different and better. I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but I have to say that that's probably why I'm here today because I certainly didn't have mentors, by the way. I didn't have people around me. I didn't have Boys and Girls Club. I, I mean, I was really that girl who was on her own. Mm. So I think that was, it's divine intervention, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did your mom know about this, about your sleepwalking with the knife? You know, I, that is such a great question. And you know, Kate, I don't even know if she still knows to this day. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, and again, no fault of my mom's, you know, um, I love my mom and we all, I believe we are the best of who we are for, for the time that we're in, for what we've been taught, for what we can handle and manage. But for all of the years that I have talked about, you know, the healing and the hope of my story and been inclusive of that part of my story she's never mentioned it I don't I don't even think she listens to my speeches I'm I'm a professional speaker um, and so I also make myself put push them out onto social media you know I'm a branding consultant as well so sharing value through these videos and I've never heard her in all of the years even with my co-authored book I don't think she's ever read it so if she does know these details, these are things that um, she's never talked about with me, which I'll just say is very indicative of my whole upbringing. My whole family, five kids, two parents, and then step-parents, our whole MO was sweep everything under the carpet. Mm. You know, so it's a lot of pretending. It's a lot of denying. So it's a, that's why I think it bred so much fragmented Uh, bits of identity. And so we wouldn't talk about things. And for me, by the way, I decided as I was becoming a a young woman, you know, this has got to stop with me. I I don't want to pass this down into my family if I should get married and I am. So I worked really hard to bring what I, to integrate my life. And so I am quite integrated. And I still think for the most part, my family is still very compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that she knows. And I don't even know that my siblings know. Hmm. So I just... So nobody knew at the time, like you didn't go to your mom the next day or the week in the weeks following and say, you know what, mom, this really, really scary thing happened. So you were still all alone. And what was going on with you? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think I'm pretty sure I didn't go and tell her because I think like most kids, even today, I don't have children of my own, but I have my pulse on on kids because I think it's really important to to be consciously connected to their worlds and, and how, what they're experiencing and whenever possible to try and be an ear or support because young people often don't have the skills to emotional skills to be able to deal with or to talk to and communicate with, with Mm grownups. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's probably my situation. And then I knew that the grownups in my life weren't available. Even if I did know they weren't available. So I, 
I um, probably didn't tell him. And so I, I did. I lived a lot of my life in, in uh, isolation. I think that's not an uncommon situation. And it feels like, and I don't, I saw a headline that said that, you know, suicides are down among young people, but it certainly doesn't seem that way because we hear about them so often and not just young people, but also famous people, you know, who look like they've got it all together and, um, you know, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. And I think it's worth mentioning, you know, to people that they should try to be open to this divine intervention, because I think a lot of people do reach out and, and do know. And, and if they're, if they don't, and if you're struggling with this all alone, please, talk to somebody, see what help is out there for you, because there is a better life as, as you are living proof, you know, just allow yourself to be open to that. Yes. I, I thank you for, for bringing this up suicide because it is still taboo and it doesn't need to be taboo and mental health challenges don't need to be taboo and we need these courageous conversations. So thank you for, for bringing it up. And what I would say about that is a few things. One, when we're in isolation, that's what secrecy just breeds shame and breeds fear and breeds despair. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So if we are not talking about, you know, Kate, I am just, I can't get out of bed. It's just been like this for several days and I have no desire to get out of bed, right? And instead of poo-pooing that, you know, asking questions and well, in even, you know, inviting to go out for a walk or those sorts of things. Um, so to authentically hold a mirror to what's going on, because clearly people are struggling internally. And I think that, I, I hope I'm not on a soapbox, but I do want to say a few things about this. I think that in this day and age with social media as well, I think it's way too easy for comparison to happen and for misrepresentations to happen, you know, by looking at the way someone looks or, you know, Oh, you know, the selfies that are always smiling or whatnot. And I think that it's so important that we have these authentic conversations. And I will say this with regards to, to adult suicide, because I do keep my, my pulse on this whole topic is, is that research shows that from I think it's from uh, the late 90s. Is this true? Um, within the, ba- the baby boomer generation, the baby boomer age, actually suicides across the whole entire United States have been increasing at about 25%. Wow. Yep. With the exception of one state even, and that state is Nevada for whatever reason, I'm not sure. Hmm. So, you know, that's actually significant And if we look at it, and I'm not a baby boomer, but I think that it merits these conversations and for people, whether they're psychologists or people in that area, age group to say, well, what is it about that generation? You know, are they, you know, extra private and do we not talk about and it's all about appearances and then what can we do to start um, making some headway? Mm -hmm. But I appreciate, I appreciate the question. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing your story because I think it is inspirational for people and I, I, I applaud you for talking about it. Sure. Um, speaking of other um, taboo and painful topics, how did you become homeless? Yeah, so 
the truth, the takeaway of this is, is that your challenges, your struggles, your pains, your soul wounds, as I call them, will go with you wherever you go all the way until you decide to deal with those issues. And so what happened for me is when I got married, when I was 26 years old, I actually married an abuser. Mm. And so right, right after we got married, gosh, within just a couple of days, it really started escalating. And I remember, and he cut right to my identity again, well, I married a white woman in a black woman's body. So that's a bad thing, but still he knew exactly what he was doing. And that was the emotional side and the psychological side of of, um, abuse at that point before it got physical. But the point is, is that he eventually shut down. I don't know how the bank allowed this, but closed down all of our bank accounts, took me off of everything. I drove from Minnesota at that time out to Washington to escape the scenario. Didn't have a place, got back you know, in that scenario, but then eventually it was, I didn't have any money. I moved back to Washington. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I hadn't had a job for a couple of years due to my, well, my ex-husband was in the NFL. And so we were back and forth in, in state and out of state. So it was kind of hard to hold down a full-time job, Mm -hmm. but I got a temp job, but it's crazy. This is another thing I'll say. I had a lot of friends, but because it's a taboo subject, People don't know how, especially back in the early 2000s, people don't know how to talk about that. They don't know how to maybe not even support somebody in that, but ask questions to be a support in any kind of way. And so, you know, the people I knew here were like, I'm not not getting involved. Um, I had some people who let me stay with them for a short time. But then ultimately, one of his teammates put their house on the market during the off season. And he said, they said, you can stay here on the floor. Um, But when the house sells um, or when they have to have open houses, then you need to be out of the house. And then when the house sells, well, then you'll need to find somewhere else. Hmm. Um, So that's what I did. And how I got out of that scenario was I I was attending a Bible study um, called BSF. And every week they would say, (laughs) it's very structured. They would say, what prayer requests do you have? And I was very private at that time. Very, very, and still full of all my years of shame. And so I was like, oh, I've got none. I've got none. No, no prayer requests. And do, to do. And then I would leave and go back to this scenario. But my, my leader called me once and she started really asking me all kinds of questions and super nice, whatever. And so she got it out of me and she said, I hardly knew her. And she was married and they lived on the lake in uh, Lake Sammamish. And she said, come and live with us. We have a mother-in-law unit. It can all be yours. Come and live with us. And I didn't know her. Look at it. It makes me tear up. These are tears of joy, by the way. It makes me tear up because that is probably the most kindness I think at this time of my life that I'd ever experienced you know, from the opposite of not belonging to someone who doesn't even know me to say, come and no, don't pay, Mm -hmm. don't pay rent. And interesting, I know you know this woman, so I'm going to tell you this, is Mary Gale. Mary Gale, so I got a temp job at AT AT&T Wireless on Mary Gale's team. And that's how I know her all these years later when we saw her, I was like, oh, I know you. Oh. 18 years later. Wow. Yeah. 
So she would have no idea what I was going through, but yeah. So I attempt at at uh, t Wireless and I lived in this mother-in-law and one step at a time, I started rebuilding my life and it's taken a very long time because I didn't want to take any shortcuts. Because the healing, what you see now when you say, you know, your story is inspirational for what people can see today. Yeah, there, there were no shortcuts. I was, I was like, whatever I need to do, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a soft spot to land all those years ago and here I am today. <laughs> Yeah, well, again, good information for people like don't keep it to yourself, right? (laughs) Because when you open up and allow divine intervention, more divine intervention for you, right? This woman said, oh, now that I know your situation, I've got the solution. Yeah. And you were just suffering in silence. And all you had to do was just trust, which I know is hard, especially when you're in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. Trusting people was probably not top of your skills at that point. Oh, oh no, no, not at all. So, and, and you're so right. And, and I, I just would say this, if anyone really is listening and intently about domestic violence or whatever, you know, all you need to do is find one safe person. You know, you don't have to tell everyone your story. Cause as a matter of fact, I didn't tell anyone I wore such a mask, but one person will have It's just what happens, and you might be able to speak to this better, but when you take one action step, what happens is it produces new information, right? Mm -hmm. Produces new information, so one person might have one thing to say, that's it, or one opportunity, and that's it, and all of your whole situation can begin to shift, but what we do is we just stay so isolated, and I think, I'll just say this, I think that's the biggest... um, what is the word I could use? Threat. I think isolation is the biggest threat to any of us for any reason or any circumstance, mm-hmm. because that's how toxic isolation is. It, it can breed all kinds of negative things. So, well, yes, because then you just marinate in your own negativity and you just go into a downward spiral. Um, you know, Sandra Yancey says isolation is a dream killer. Um, oh, yes. In the, in the context of, you know, what business do you want to create or, you know, what kind of life do you want to create for yourself? But isolation can be a true killer if you are really in desperate straits and don't get some, some people around you who can lift you up. Yep, exactly. So career-wise, you went to college. What did you study? Did you have a, a career plan in mind? You know, I did when I, first of all, I wasn't going to go to college. That is the one, one thing that my dad did gift me was my college education. But, you know, I, I just, I wasn't going to go, but I had always aspired to be an attorney. I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be an attorney, but for all the wrong reasons, because I grew up in such poverty, I thought I need to get a job that I will never have to be. These are my words. I remember them. I will never have to be financially dependent on anybody. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to be an attorney. But when I got there very soon after I, I started really having an interest in psychology for all the reasons you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And so then I was, I was starting to go down that path. And by the time I was 19 years old, Kate, I don't know, this is some, something happened, but by the time I was 19 years old, I figured it out that the, the question that was in my head is what am I really passionate about? Because 40 hours a week are a lot of hours to be working. 
Um, and we all know now that we're grown in, in the work por- workforces, we work well more than 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. But I thought we better be, I better be really passionate about what I'm doing. And so I thought about that and I thought what had made a real impact in my life that because out of that impact, I know that there was passion in there. So what, what, what was that? And then how can I make that into my career? And for some reason, I thought about fashion, by the way, because going back to when I was 15 in that verse in Psalm 139, that says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The thing with me was, well, how do I dress fearfully and wonderfully made? Right. Um, I, I was so poor that I remember the first week of school, I ripped, oh, I fell on the way to school, junior high, and I ripped a big hole in my jeans and I had to wear those every day. Which now is quite fashionable. <laughs> Yeah, it is, but you're a trendsetter. Oh yeah, and I just didn't know it. I was humiliating, but I had to wear those every day because I only had one pair every day for I don't even know. I'd say the whole year, but maybe it was just half the year. But when I saw fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, what does that look like? And so I started shopping at the thrift store because I was still poor, but I would stand there in that full length mirror and I would say, you know, what colors look good on me, my dark skin. And what patterns look good on my big curves and my white girlfriends didn't have these curves, right? And what if I tucked here and shortened here and nipped here, what would that look like? And so I really got a knack and my mom was a seamstress. So I would buy stuff and she would go home and, you know, alter things up for me. And what happened was, is I, I started feeling better. I started get having a pep in my step. I felt more confident. Moreover, people at school started treating me differently. So teachers who were dismissive of me treated me differently. Students, it was amazing. And so when I was in college, by the way, I could look around on campus as a freshman and I could see the despair that people were in, you know, even though they're dressed nice, you know, you can see it in their eyes and I know it all too well because that was my life. And I thought, you know what? wardrobe and fashion was a vehicle to help me start to feel better about myself. And so I thought I'm going to go into fashion and I'm going to have my own business whereby I can teach people to first identify who they are. You know, who am I? That's the question I needed to answer for myself. Who am I? And then how do I dress that fearful and wonderful person? And how do I, step into clothes as an affirmation of who I am because clothing is a, is a beautiful fortification and affirmation of who you are. And so, yes, I studied fashion. I, I majored in fashion, majored in management and minored in business so that I could do exactly what I'm doing today. So that was the inspiration for your image consultancy business, which is actually very interesting. And I love the way you position that um, is the first thing is you have to say, who am I, right? Yes. I actually studied image consulting um, in the 90s, I guess it was, um, with a very famous image consultant, one of the pioneers in the field. And... um, I felt like it was more about costuming for him. It wasn't about bringing out who you are. It was about projecting an image that may or may not be who you are, but quote, gets the job done, right? So, sure. so 
I think that your approach is a lot more, more authentic because I felt like, and that's one of the reasons I never pursued it as a career because I felt like it was very inauthentic. It, absolutely. And it, the way he presented it, but the way you present it, I think it's a much different experience. I, I believe you to be true. And I'll tell you, it has not always been easy. Can you imagine? So I'm now headed into my 19th year, but could you imagine being a college graduate? So just a young whippersnapper and having that mindset, who is going to, who's going to buy into that? Right. Mm-hmm. Especially because we were still coming off the era of Rest for success, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I've always swam upstream in my business um, because it hasn't. It wasn't probably until I would say maybe in the last five ish, maybe a little bit longer years, um, that people, image consultants and stylists, started speaking that language. Mm-hmm. So for all the other time, it was you know, latest trends and this and this and that, where here I'm, you know, eking it out, you know, your authentic essence, your authentic essence, and let's dress that. And it was, and I didn't have confidence to do that at first, by the way. When I first started my business, I couldn't even do that. I thought no one will take me seriously. I won't get paid. Um, But so I always uh, talked about, my first tagline was maximize your visibility, (laughs) you know? And I would, I would work with a lot of realtors and uh, financial advisors and people who were in high visible uh, positions. And so it was, we're going to maximize your visibility. We're going to use your wardrobe as a communication tool. And all of these things are still true. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until probably 10 years ago for myself that I said, nope, let me tell you this. The more inner healing that I get, the more I'm willing to bring that into my business and be the most truest version of myself in that. So about 10 years ago, or maybe a little bit more, I started shifting to the authentic. And now that's what it's all about is who are you and how do you dress your truth? How do you mine your truth of who you are in your story so that you can own your truth so that you can speak your truth, dress your truth, and live your truth out loud in a clear, focused, and powerful way. And, you know, my tagline today is championing you and your confident brand identity and style breakthroughs Mm -hmm. for transformational success. I would never be able to say that before. That's only born out of really um, layers of healing and sure that this is my purpose in the world. Mm-hmm. And because I, you know, lived through it and went through, you know, the, the outward manifestation. Yes. Oh my gosh. You should see my pictures. Um, but the inner is even more important because if, if you're going to really champion somebody, you really need to have done whatever that work is yourself. Mm-hmm. And so here, here we are. And if you saw my pictures, yeah, it was part of it too. You know, I would get teased and I was called bush monkey and nigga knees and all kinds of horrific things that kids, when they say that, they think, I don't know what they think, but name calling, no, but it cuts at the core of your identity. Mm-hmm. And so until you have, when you're a child, you know, and, until you have people, your parents or mentors or whoever that are helping you reframe that and challenge those limiting beliefs and 
champion the truth and impart that truth back into you, you know, that's what you grow up with and that's what you think. And then thus in our older years, we have all these years of therapy and coaching we need to do, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's a good feeling today. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful story, you know, a wonderful example of how, and this is something that I say all the time, and that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is so that people can be inspired that whatever you've been through in your life, there's a reason for that. And you can turn it into something positive, no matter what, right? No matter what it is. And you are an excellent example of that. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Well, and certainly you, by the way, I I just want to say you'll you know, I don't know if you'll speak to this right now or not, but just you leaving corporate, corporate America right at the peak or the beginning of the Great Recession, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, brilliant timing. Um, but for a similar reason, like I just felt like this, just, something has to change, you know, something has to change and I need to do something for myself, right? As opposed to, you know, uh, some of the words that I said, I believe, to my boss um, was that I feel like I'm running on a treadmill for someone else's amusement. Wow. And it, it was just like, I really honestly felt like this job was killing me. And I couldn't let that happen. I was spending so much time outside of work trying to mitigate the effects of the stress of work. Wow. And I thought, this is crazy. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what my life is supposed to be. Um, and so, yeah, so now I, I try to help other people figure out what their life, right? I wasn't living my first class life, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right. But that you did it and you did it at a time where... It's extra vulnerable. I think any time that we, we leave from our corporate job, that safety net, mm-hmm. right, of consistency and a consistent paycheck, and then you did it, you know, during, you know, a real vulnerable time. So thank you for just modeling what can be. Well, I certainly learned a lot. <laughs> and again, you know, all of the struggles that I've went through and continue to go through are things that I need to go through so that I can show other people how to get through them, right? Just like... Right just like you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So you are a dynamic, inspirational speaker. You alluded to earlier, you're a professional speaker on a number of topics. What audience is most receptive to your message? You know, that's the thing is because I do have a variety of topics. They're, they're receptive to, to all of them. If I'm, I'm, if I'm at the right audience, right? So for professionals, you know, I'm often speaking about uh, professional image and using your wardrobe as a communication tool, personal branding, which is about uh, uniquely and holistically packaging who you are uh, to position you for greater success in the marketplace. So that looks like not just your wardrobe, but again, really playing to your strengths, living to your strengths and, you know, speaking with confidence and impact building positioning statements. That's really key for corporate. Um, Hope, what I have found is is fascinating to me, Kate, is that this year in January, I had uh, four speaking engagements and then a success workshop. It was a robust month. But um, for two of the audiences, I said, would you want me to talk about branding and style, personal branding and style or hope or whatnot? And they these women's groups that were even um, professional women's group, they said, no, hope. 
Mm. That's what we want. And so what I realized, and I've been tracking this since last year, because 425 Magazine, when they asked me to speak, same thing. We talked about, well, what would I talk about? And, and they said, yes, talk about hope mm-hmm. and your story. Um, and I said, well, that hasn't been written. So that was a brand new message just for last year. And it's interesting to me that the request for that message continues to happen, which tells me that everybody is receptive to a message of hope mm-hmm. because we all need it. You know, maybe not as desperately in, in, at one time than another, but we need to know of hope and possibilities. And if I may say, hope is an acronym. So H-O-P-E stands for your healing. Hope, hope produces your healing that leads to your overcoming, that leads to your possibilities and your purpose and the expectancy that your best is yet to come. Mm. And I think that everybody, male and female, no matter their background, can find that that resonates with them. Um, and then, you know, I have faith-based uh, speaking engagements too, so it, it varies. But there's something for everyone, and not because <laughs> I'm a jack of or a Jill of all trades, but because that's just what my life has produced, personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of life at at this little ripe age. (laughs) Well, we're at that point in the program where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh gosh, that is so good. Let me just think about that for one moment because there is, you know, an obvious. So I'm going to give you two because the most authentic and obvious one that comes off my mouth is the Bible. Um, because even book of Proverbs within the Bible is all about wisdom, practical wisdom for living life well. Um, but then there's another itty bitty tiny book that I read years ago called the Kaizen way. Have you heard of it? I have. Yes. So the Kaizen way is, um, a concept from the Japanese that says, take one small step. You know, that life changes, production changes, outcomes change with just little steps. So the Kaizen way is about taking little steps. And uh, Darren Hardy, The Compound Effect. Now, I haven't read that book, but it's a similar uh, concept whereby he says, take one next step and then take the next step and then the next right step in the series of all those little right steps gets you to where you want to go eventually. And you can apply those two concepts to any area of your life. And it is just true. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Well, it reminds me, you know, one of the things that was from a Christmas movie from uh, when I was a kid, or maybe even before then, there's a song about put one foot in front of the other, right? And soon you'll be walking out the door, whatever, however it goes. But um, I think of that often when I feel like I just don't know where this path is going to lead. It's like, well, just put one foot in front of the other and then you'll find out. (laughs) So good. It's so good. Isn't it funny how we we have that programming from when we are kids, like in that song, Mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily know really or understand what that means, right? Mm -hmm. Just like like with the Elton John songs, right? With the head of hindsight, you're like, oh, that's what it means. (laughs) 
Yes, yes. And then if you start- only I knew then what I know now, right? Yes. <laughs> and you get these business books that spell the same thing out in a little bit different way. You go, okay, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So yeah. good. So Kim, how do you personally define success? In other words, what does your authentic first-class life look like? You know, it's, it might sound kind of boring, but honestly, it is peace of mind, right? I mean, just to feel honestly peaceful in my mind because I was always, you know, again, anxiety, depression. Am I good enough? Do they like me? Uh, wanting to be something I wasn't. I remember wanting to take a Clorox bath, for instance, when I was a kid. Having peace of mind is successful to me. Being comfortable and confident in my own skin, successful. Because I don't know if you know what that means when you're not. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're suffocating, right? So to be comfortable and confident in my own skin and, and just to be able to be um, a woman of truth and integrity in my life is huge. Because again, just summarizing again, when you think of the stories that I've shared with you in the past, I wasn't living truth, right? Mm-hmm. Even in my own self. So it success, uh, and I love money, don't get me wrong. And I have had my business now for, for uh, headed into my 19th year. And so that feels good. But more than business success or financial success, that success is always going to resonate more with um, uh, a piece in my own skin. Um, and, and from that, just there's so much that comes from that then, right? Relationships, my husband, my family. Um, but when you have that kind of peace, it's like a compass for how you choose to live the rest of your life. And, and, and then life, successful life is just a series of beautiful, peaceful moments. Mm-hmm. And until it's not, but then you, you get back on course. Right, right. Well said. If people want to find out more about you and your work, how can they do that? Uh, thanks. Um, so feel free to visit me at uniquelysavvy.com. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. I try to share bits of value for your whole self for how you look, how you speak, and how you feel uh, confident in your own skin on LinkedIn and social media. And you are uniquely savvy on LinkedIn and social media or Kim Peterson? That's a great question. So um, Kim Peterson on LinkedIn, on Facebook, I am Facebook uniquely savvy, uniquely savvy on Twitter and on Instagram, which I'm new to is underscore uniquely savvy. Oh, the underscore comes first. Yes. Okay. I'm not on Instagram, believe it or not. That is one of my uh, shortcomings, I suppose. Shortcomings. I I know. I just I just got on in the in the fall. But can I? Do we have a moment where I can share one quick? Oh yeah, super quick. So, and I'm not going to go into this full story, but oh well, what I will say is, is I just got on Instagram because it was kind of like another layer of owning my authentic truth and stepping out. And um, it is kind of a beautiful story that is relevant to the whole conversation we've had today is because I never wanted to be on Instagram. I thought I'm not going to post a bunch of pretty pictures or try and be pretty (laughs) 
or, you know, it's just too much, you know, um, I'm, I, I just, I'm not going to pause to have this beautiful, beautifully choreographed page. Um, and there's also still, there was a little bit of insecurity too about, well, I don't want to be posting my pictures out there, you know, but I'll, I'll tell you that, that, that people can still bully you in your forties. Um, or be mean to you in your 40s. I'm in my 40s. And, and so what happened was, and long story short, is a professional woman sort of um, tried to cut at my identity. Um, really? Mm-hmm. And I, I won't probably get into that whole story, but it was exactly what I needed. I'll tell you that is, is that two days earlier, I had just written this blog that I wasn't confident enough yet to put out there which was, who am I today? Mm. And we always need to know, you, you and I already had a brief conversation about this, but we always need to know the answer to who am I? Because we, research shows that we operate out of our belief system. So whether we have a positive identification of who we are or a negative or fragmented, uh, that's exactly how we're going to show up. And, and so in... October of 2018, I had shifted, enlarged my essence. I guess the only way I can say it, you know, because we're always growing, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're always growing. And so I had shifted so much between January and October of last year that I was like, well, who am I today? And I needed to not only know that, but I needed to put it in writing onto my blog so that I would live courageously as that, as who I am. Instead of defaulting to who I had been, you know, even six months earlier, taking the easy route, but I wasn't confident to to put that out in the world. And I do a truth Tuesday every week and I love it because it, it gives me permission to be more courageous and truthful. So this was a truth Tuesday and I still didn't put it out. But when I was out in the workplace that day, uh, this woman was, She's just been very dismissive of me for years and I have celebrated her and and some of her accomplishments. And anyway, the long story short is I wanted to hold a mirror to her and challenge any limiting beliefs that I may have had um, about the story of, of, is she really dismissing me? But yeah, she was really dismissing me and it ended with her saying to me, because I said, is there anyone after I gave her compliments and really she has an inspirational story and I said you know is there any wonky energy between us because she kept dismissing me and she said no uh there's no wonky energy between us but I just don't find you interesting to be around but I wish you luck wow grown woman professional woman um and she was exactly what I needed to push send on that blog Make mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because who I am today is comfortable and confident in my own skin, not going to be derailed by somebody else's opinion of me, as opposed to my whole life and what I've been doing. Who I am today is not going to be someone who's going to be stuck in limiting beliefs in my own story that maybe she does, maybe she likes me or maybe she doesn't, but what is all this that she's been doing? Mm-hmm. No, let's get to the truth championing the truth. And so I kept going back uh, to really get to the truth and she gave it to me. And so I was like, great, I'm going to push send. And 
it's a, it was a good reminder that we will always have people who are not our fans and that's okay. They will be prettier, smarter, brighter, better than us, but we have to be good and great and confident with, with who we are and what our purpose is. And so from that moment, then I said, I'm getting on Instagram because makes sense because I, there was still a part of me that was a little lacking confidence to just be who I was. And Instagram was this big wide world to me. And I needed to, you know, people are going to look to me to be perfect. And you know, no, all of that done over. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, this is my coming out for me and I'm going to be the fullness of who I am today. And that's the only reason why I got onto Instagram uh, back in October. It's, it's kind of like a, a tool that's helped me to continue to affirm who I am today and to not cower uh, in the face of, of adversity, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Well, good for you. So what's next for Kim Peterson? I'm excited and I'm honored to be doing some corporate work this year and uh, on wardrobe and appearance and dressing for success. So that feels great. And I also have just been continuing to build my speaking platform, which is amazing because again, that's not something that I would ever do. And I was always not confident to do, but I believe that if the right messages are out there for the right audience, then, you know, um, then it's worth, you know, getting up and doing. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. And then I've also started um, building my coaching practice, which is actually very exciting. Um, you know, there are people who want to go deeper and they want to have their own breakthroughs. And so I've been doing that a little bit over the years. And now I'm just building that, that practice. And it's very rewarding work um, because, you know, when people are ready, it's like, I just, I will pour into you. And, and when you're really ready for that breakthrough, it's, it's amazing to see what can come from that. So that's really what I'm working on this year is corporate speaking, more uh, speaking at different events and uh, conferences and one-to-one uh, -one coaching. Excellent. Well, Kim Peterson, uniquely savvy. Thanks so much for sharing your story with me today. Oh, thanks for having me. What an honor, truly. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of First Class Life, Redefining Success with Kate Fessler. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit firstclasslifesolutions.com on Twitter at Kate Fessler and on Facebook at First Class Life Solutions. We'll catch you next time. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.